Turn your Bibles with me to Second um, Chronicles, chapter thirty-four. I know it's like a hard left from our last series and the series before that. This uh, this message is uh, we kind of like to take New Year's and have. I say this like we do it every year, like this is the whole thing. Um, uh, we're just kind of taking New Year's and, and having a sort of a one-off, start the new year sort of sermon. Um, and we'll, we'll get into our next series next week. Second Chronicles chapter 34. Starting in verse 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the, in the eyes of the Lord and walked in the ways of David his father. He did not turn aside from to the right hand or to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet a boy, he began to seek the God of David, his father. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the Asherim and the carved and the metal images. And they chopped down the altars of the Baals in his presence, and he cut down the incense altars that stood above them. And he broke in pieces the Asherim and the carved in the metal images, and he made dust of them and scattered it over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, and Simeon, as far as Naphtali, in their ruins all around, he broke down the altars and beat the Asherim and the images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. Now in the 18th year of his reign, when he had cleansed the land and the house, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and Messiah, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. They came to Hilkiah the priest and gave him the money that had been brought into the house of God, which the Levites, the keepers of the threshold, had collected from Manasseh and Ephraim and all the remnant of Israel and from all Judah and Benjamin and from the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they gave it to the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord. And the workmen who were working in the house of the Lord gave it for repairing and restoring the house. They gave it to the carpenters and the builders to buy quarried stone and timber for binders and beams for the buildings that the kings of Judah had let go to ruin. And the men did the work faithfully. Over them were set some guys with names that are hard to pronounce. All of whom were skillful with instruments. Uh, Levites, all who were skillful with instruments of music, were the burden bearers, were over the burden bearers and directed all who did the work. And while they were bringing out the money that had been brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found the book of the law, the book of the law of the Lord given through Moses. Then Hilkiah answered and said to the Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and Shaphan brought the book to the king and further reported to the king, all that was committed to your servants they are doing. They've emptied out the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have given it into the hand of the overseers and the workmen. Then Shaphan, the secretary, told the king, Hilkiah, the priest, has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the king. 
And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah, Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's servant, saying, Go, inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and in Judah concerning the words of the book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. And pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we approach your word this morning, give us a humility. Give us the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of all wisdom, so that as we approach your word, we may be given understanding. God, I pray that you would give us a respect and a thirst for your word. May we allow ourselves to be broken by it the way Josiah the king was. In Jesus' name, amen. This is uh, quite a passage, and it has one of my favorite Old Testament quotes in it. Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Like, he didn't even know really what it was. Like, we were cleaning out the old ruins of the temple as we were starting to kind of, you know, sort of put it back together because you told us to, and we found this. All right, I'll read it to me. And, um, you know, as, as we as we start a new year, this is always, I used to be the guy that was like, my New Year's resolution is to not make any New Year's resolutions. And I keep that one every year, you know. Deep inside me lives a curmudgeon. <laughs> He's not a lot of fun at parties. <laughs> but, uh, but, um... You know, as you look through the Old Testament, you see a lot of, a lot of, uh, whether it be festivals or feasts or, or, or different, different times and seasons that are purposely, and they were instructed by God to kind of set apart as a, as a time for remembering. And a time for, it was, it was kind of like a, a mark on the calendar to purposely, because God knows our tendency to forget to backslide, to get complacent. God purposely put things on the calendar of his people that would cause them to remember, to cause them to turn their attention back to him um, and, and, and all of that. And, and I think it is valuable. It's taken me a long time to come around to this, but I, I do think it is valuable to take things, you know, as simple as New Year's when everybody's making really dumb New Year's resolutions they're never going to keep or whatever, um, to, to take that mark on the calendar to take stock of where are we and where are we trying to get. Um, I'm always inspired by, sorry, I'm going to do it. I'm always inspired by Luke. Um, I saw one time in his office because that was the, in their apartment, that was their spare bedroom. And so I got real nosy and they had this like really cool looking little journal that was open. 
and uh, like his, his, his full focus journal. I didn't read the whole thing, okay? Um, it was clear. It clearly. Uh, it didn't. It <laughs> he left it open, or maybe he didn't. I don't know. But it was like it was like goals, and like it was like it was clearly like a. It was more of an organizer than like a journal. It was like it was like some to do stuff. But the to-do things weren't just, you know, because I was wondering, how does, how does an engineer that works at home, um, he's, he's pretending to pay a lot of attention to Mac right now, because he doesn't know. Like, no. Um, no, how, like, how does an engineer that works at home, you know, I'm always inspired, first of all, by people that can, you know, be self-starter enough to actually, you know, work from home and all that. Like, how, first of all, how does he do it? Second of all, what does an engineer have on his to-do list? I always wonder, you know, like on his, like, make sure I get these things done today. And anyway, Mike, so here's some of the things he had written. Oh, no, I, I don't even remember, but I, I just remember it like it was beyond like I need to get this stuff done, you know, this week for my engineering job. It was like I have some goals in my life that I want to accomplish, and here's the steps I'm going to take this week, this month, this quarter. Okay, more of this I found out. I, was, I did ask him about it and tell him, hey, I didn't mean to like, read your journal, but that thing looks really cool. What is it? And he's telling me about it, and uh, I'm not going to make this sermon a commercial for the Full Focus Journal from Michael Hyatt and Company. Um, but... I was real inspired by that. Got one, used it a little bit. I was in the, his office the other day. He has a whole shelf of them. He actually uses these things. I can't believe it. Fills them out even. My, my point in that is that, that there is value in, because, because I know what that process is, because now he got me to listen to the podcast. I know the process. Is this kind of this process of, you know, once a year, once a quarter, once a month, every week. Take a step back from the minutia of your everyday life and ask yourself some questions like, where do I want to, where do I want to go in life? Where do I wish I was in my career? Where do I wish I was in my spiritual walk? Where do I wish I, what kind of things do I want to accomplish with my family? Because we know as much as we try to, as men compartmentalize these things, all of these things touch each other and they overlap. I think it's so important when we have a natural pause, a natural time to look back and look ahead like New Year's, that we, that we take stock. Let's, because it's church, let's talk about our spiritual goals. What kind of spiritual goals did you set for last year? And did you accomplish them? This is not a time that I'm going to beat you up for not accomplishing them because I don't remember what mine were. Um, I'm just pretty sure I didn't accomplish them. Um, but how do you do? Did you did you keep it? Did you, did you did you keep those goals a few weeks or months longer than you did the year before? In other words, if we can keep the trend going like a good stock chart up and to the left, uh, that's good. Did you read your Bible this year? That's where I'm going, in case you couldn't tell with the story about finding the book of the law. That's just a spoiler alert. That's where we're going. Um, the, I'll just give you the application. The end of this sermon, the application is pick up your Bible and read it. There you go. We could close in prayer now, but I'm going to beat a dead horse for 20 minutes or so. No, I'm kidding. Um, <clears throat> we read in God's Word that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and of wisdom. We read that God's Word, His commandments, His precepts are of great value, and yet what we say and what we do don't line up 
Let me say that, and they'll follow through with that. And, and I, I'm saying we because I hope you know that I'm a regular guy like the rest of you. And um, we all struggle in this. I have to study God's Word every week so I can preach a sermon. And that sounds like I got like a free, you know, it's like automatic devotions built into my work, right? Listen, I'm not saying that doesn't count. My grandfather, who I don't know if you guys, if any of you got a chance to listen to that sermon, but uh, I, maybe on the podcast we can just take out my first sermon in that series and put that one in. He said it a lot better. That was in, well into his career. But, um, but what he told me one time before he passed away, I was in Bible college and I asked him, you know, how, how he prepped a lot of his sermons. He said, honestly, most of my most of my sermons and certainly any of the good ones came out of my personal Bible study. Which I appreciated because, you know, a lot of people are well, sermon prep doesn't count as studying your Bible. And like, well, I, I get it because now that I've done it for a year, I do kind of get it. It's different. It's different when I'm looking for things that I can say that will, you know, sound semi-intelligent versus just sitting down with God's Word and letting God speak to me. Not feeling like I need to organize what he has said into something that I can communicate, but just allowing God to communicate to my heart and grow. I say all of that to say the struggle to do that is the same for me as it is for you. It's hard. Um, because I can't actually keep secrets if I remember what they are. I've probably already shown all of you this. Um, back on the, on the shelf back there in the, in the lobby, we've got um, we've got these brand new. They're not shiny because they have like a nice matte finish, but these these brand new, hot off the press, um, community Bible reading journals with neighborhood church embossed in the cover. Super cool. Um, and I'm not saying you have to use that. Um, if you do use that, we'll all and if we all use that, we'll all be reading the same passage, and maybe we can uh, organize a small group around that. And get together, you know, every week or, or two and talk about what God is teaching us outside of the Sunday morning sermon, outside of, of, of that. But like, you know, what, what is God teaching us collectively as a group? I think that'd be cool. I can't make you do it. Um, I can barely make myself do it. Um, but I think that'd be a cool tool, tool that we could use. There's other great tools. Word of Life puts out a great quiet time. If you've never done one, I mean... Our daily bread is a, our daily crouton. It's a, it's a little bit. It is just a little bit. It's not very filling. And I don't know if you can survive on it, but it's something. Okay? It is something. You know, step up from that. You can go to my utmost for his highest by Oswald Chambers. Okay? That's a step up from the daily bread. And then if you want that, but with really good theology, you get Spurgeon's morning and evening. Okay? And so, um, That's, that's, that's how it goes. All right. That's, that's kind of the steps. Um, it wasn't until I read a lot of Spurgeon's morning and evening. I went back and read my utmost first highest and I was like, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Uh, not the point. It's important to start somewhere. It's important to set goals that are <laughs> achievable while not dumbing them down so much that they no longer get us any closer to where we're trying to get. If you've never read your Bible regularly, seven days a week is it's going to be a tall order. Maybe you can do it, 
but a radical shift to your schedule, as you well know if you've ever tried to work out. I forgot to go to the gym last year. Um, <clears throat> but if you've ever tried to, you know, fit a workout routine into your regular routine, you know it is hard to drastically change your schedule. And so you've got to start somewhere. If you read your Bible like almost not at all last year, and you can get to where you read your Bible one time a week this year, that is like 52 more times. That's exactly 100% more Bible reading than you did last you know, so I'm just saying, you start somewhere. Start somewhere. One of the things I love about the, uh, the community Bible reading journal we got is uh, it doesn't have dates at the top. You just fill it in as you use it. So you don't feel like you have to throw away an empty journal at the end of the year and get a new one. That always killed me with the Word of Life ones. It was uh, really good, but it was always like, oh, man. Well... If everything goes post-apocalyptic, I'll have a most of a year's <laughs> devotional I can use. But I want to turn back to I want to turn back to God's word. Let's look at let's look at Psalm 119. If you've never read it, we we did a sermon series um, back before I moved up here um, through Psalm 119. Man, that was a long summer, and we about four weeks into it thought, what did we do with the sermon calendar? But it was actually really good. And we went pretty slowly through all of Psalm 119. And somewhere about halfway through, we realized, man, this is like I need to hear this all the time. Psalm 119 reads like a Jewish catechism. It's organized by the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And Hebrew children would have been learning this at a very young age, a lot like, um, you know, more liturgical, liturgical um, Reformed churches or Catholic churches would teach their kids, you know, catechisms. You know, there's a question and a response. Some of those are really good. Um, and, and, you know, we've used some of that uh, with, with our with our girls. This reads like that. There's a letter of the alphabet, and this is completely lost in English, but in the, in the Hebrew, if you were able to read Hebrew on the right side of the page, because it reads backwards, um, every line would start with that letter. So it's like an acronym, but... You know, they're all the same. And so this was a, it was a, a tool to help young kids learn the value of God's word. Every single one. This is the crazy thing about this, this catechism. Every letter, the theme is the same thing. God's word. God's word. God's word. God's word. First and foremost, primary in your life, has value in every circumstance. I'm going to read to you one that... Uh, uh, we have next to our bathroom mirror. And it's amazing. Kara posted this up there. And, you know, some weeks a certain phrase will really pop out at me. And other weeks a different certain phrase will really pop out at me, you know, depending on what God is teaching me. But starting in verse 33, it says, Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law. And observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. 
Do you realize every single verse mentions God's word? It's like a different, it's a different English word every time, but statutes, law, commandments, testimonies, ways, promise, rules, precepts. Every single one, God's word. I appreciate how every Every single verse in this section, and in, if you read the whole chapter, which is the longest chapter in the Bible, there's your Bible trivia, um, many of these verses, but every verse in this section, God has to do the action. That doesn't mean that I don't take an active part in pursuing God and His Word, pursuing God through His Word, But there's an acknowledgement in here, like verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Because our natural state, because of our sinful nature, is for our heart to be inclined toward things all about ourselves. How many of you around Black Friday season find really good deals on all the stuff you've been wanting to buy all year? I do this every year. Anyway, that's that's not the that's not the point. But like, but like, you know, it, it's it is amazing to me how easily my focus can go on things about me, things for me, things I want, things that make my life easier. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. I need God to steer the desires of my heart, or I won't want the things pertaining to Him. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Now, there's a lot of things that could fall in that category. But I need God's help to not focus on those things. Give me understanding. Teach me. Give me life. These are things God has promised that He will do if we will simply seek Him. But how can we seek Him if not through His Word? Back to back to Second Chronicles chapter thirty-four. I want to pick up. They, they, they go to a they go, they go to um, a prophetess who's uh, somebody's wife um, who who God has given God chooses to speak through. There's a whole lesson there about God speaking through and using women in the Bible way before it was cool. Um, But skip to verse 29. He says, Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. Oh, I should give you some context. Um, He asks, he's inquiring of the Lord. And uh, so they go to this this prophetess because she's like the only one they know who like kind of has a connection with God. And uh, she says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, um, tell, Tell the man who sent you to me, Behold, I will bring disaster upon this place and its inhabitants. Well, wait a minute. He just went and like tore down all the altars of Baal. He just went and like cleansed Judah and Jerusalem and the, you know, the whole area. He's like been doing the Lord's work, right? He's been, he's been doing good things. And yet, and yet he says, I will bring disaster upon this place, upon its inhabitants, all the curses that are written in the book that was read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me. And they have made offerings to other gods that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. 
And he does, then God says, but because you, your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words, um, basically, I'll relent until you're dead. It's coming. I'll cut you a break, but it's coming. Oh yeah, I was going to read this part. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the king went up to the house of the Lord with all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites, all the people, both great and small. And he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and all his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in this book. Then he made all who were present in Jerusalem and in Benjamin stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. And Josiah took away all the abominations from all the territories that belonged to the people of Israel and made all who were present in Israel serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not turn away from following the Lord, the God of their fathers. Josiah did not know what was contained in God's word until he was, let's see, 18, 26, 18th year of his reign. He was eight years old. He knew as a teenager, somewhere around 16, he was like, hey, we got to clean this place up. I think we used to like pray to God or something. All this stuff looks bad. And so kind of went on the warpath for a while in a good way, cleaning up the country. And then when he's 26, they find the book of the law and they read it. And even though he, in a general way, knew that what was going on in the country did not serve the God of his father's, the God of David, he didn't know specifically quite how far off they were. I, I want to point out through that that like there is there is something if you've uh, if you've never gone from not reading God's word to um, trying to read it a lot, you'll find it's sometimes not as encouraging as you thought it would be. But the discouraging part is actually growing pains of spiritual growth because the light of God's Word shines in the dark places of our hearts. And sometimes you don't even know how much filth and how much shame and how much unrighteousness is in your heart until the light of God's Word shines into it. And so it can be discouraging sometimes. Like, man, I'm like, I'm been reading, I've been reading my Bible like every day for a month, but like, I feel like a worse Christian now than I did when I started. I'll always run into this in Bible college. Like, after first semester, most freshmen feel this way. Um, and there is this, there is this sense that like, oh, man, like I, I felt okay about my life as a Christian before. I just thought I needed to read my Bible more, and like. But now I'm reading my Bible more and I feel even worse about where I'm at in my Christian walk. I don't even know if this is worth it. I want to encourage you before you even get to that spot um, that those are growing pains. Those are, that's, what it, that's what happens in our lives when we are growing spiritually. The other point is to care about what God's Word says. A, 
Make time to get into God's Word so that you can know what it says. Um, B, actually care what it says. Josiah's reaction to hearing God's Word read in his presence, hearing it for the first time, and realizing he did not have the attitude of, well, I mean, let's be honest, I'm a lot better than the guys that came before me. I mean, you saw what all those kings did. I mean, I tore down all the stuff they did. So, like, I'm doing pretty good. That was not his attitude at all. And if you read the stories of the kings, you know, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, and read, like, how pretty much after, like, David and Solomon, it was a steep decline, and there was, like, a couple of almost kind of good ones, and that was it. Basically, the whole, like, king situation panned out exactly how God said it would uh, when they first asked for a king. And the attitude he could have had that, you know, I'm better than the guy next to me. Well, I'm better than the guy that came before me. I'm better than the guy that lives down the street. We do this all the time in our lives. We compare ourselves to those around us. We compare ourselves to, you know, the real sinners out there, you know. But look at us. I mean, we dress up and go to church. Well, sometimes I just wear a t-shirt today, but, you know, we, you know, look, look at us. You know, we're doing good things. Look at us. You know, we're, we're up here. And it's kind of like we talked about with the whole, the whole lukewarm thing. Like, we get complacent in that. We can forget that self-righteousness is like one of the ugliest things to God that we can participate in. If you don't believe me, just read uh, the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees. The things Jesus had to say about self-righteousness, he really was not a fan of that. It's like, if you don't think I, if you don't think you need me, that's fine. I, I guess I didn't come for you then. I came for the, for the people who see their need. <clears throat> we need to allow God's word to speak to our lives on its own level, on its own merits, by its own words, to take what God's word says and say, that is the truth. Hey, that's actually one of our values as Neighborhood Church. See how I did that? Um, that's one of our values. We trust the Bible. We look to Scripture as our primary guide for life because God leads us most directly through His Word. Can God lead us by kind of giving us a nudge, by kind of sending people into our lives to, to tell us something, whether they know they're being prophetic or not? Sure, He can, he can do that. Could He speak to you in an audible voice? I mean can do whatever he wants. But I do know that you're not getting anything through any other, like, I just have a feeling God's telling me I need to. Well, okay, maybe. Is it in here? If it's in here, God's definitely telling you that. If it's not, maybe. Um, Does it line up with Scripture? Okay, do it. But God leads us most directly through his word. God leads me least directly through my feelings which I've found over the last couple of days changed dramatically depending on how much sleep I get. <laughs> God leads us most directly through his word. God's word means what it means. In none of the devotionals that I've recommended does it ask the question, what does this passage say to you? Because it doesn't say something different to you than it says to me. It, you may apply it differently, but God's word says what God's word says. And God's Spirit will take that 
and convict you in a different way than he may convict me, depending on where my life needs to be steered, like we, like we looked at in Psalm. Incline my heart. Turn my eyes. You know, these things that, that God needs to use his word to shape us. And there's a, there's a pottery illustration here that I won't try to go into because I don't know how to do that. But, um, you know, God is the one pushing and pulling and shaping and prodding. There's a shepherding illustration here too, you know, about, you know, chasing the sheep around and giving them a nudge or a whack every now and then. Um, or sometimes a shepherd would have to break the legs of a sheep and carry it. Which is like a whole thing I don't really understand, but I do see how it applies in our lives. Um, I don't really understand shepherding, but I do understand God having to bring some people to a point of brokenness before they will listen. Will you allow, will we allow God's word to do that to us this year? For God's word to speak into our lives, to discover it anew. Hey, is there a book in, is there a book in the Bible you've never read? Read it. If it's a minor prophet, which it probably is, you can read it in one sitting. They're very short, most of them. That's why I call them minor. They weren't not important, they're just short. Discover God's word anew this year. Kind of like they did. Because, because really, let's be honest, what is the difference? What is the difference between I don't know where the book of the law is Hey, look, the priest gave me a book. Let me read it to you. It's like Josiah was a young king and he was bedtime stories. No, he was in his 20s. But what is the difference between the book of the law being lost in the ruins of the temple and God's word being on my bedside table, but I've never read it? There's no difference. God's word doesn't speak to me. Like you can't like put it under your pillow at night and like by osmosis, oh, I'm gonna be a good Christian today because like God's word seeped into my head. It doesn't work like that. If only, but it doesn't. Some of us tried this in high school or college. It doesn't work. But falling asleep with the book over your face doesn't doesn't count either. There's no difference between the law, the book of the law being lost in the ruins of the temple and the Bible on your night, your, your nightstand with books in it you've never read. I don't, I'm not sure how long it would take it. You know, if you followed the community Bible reading plan, I'm not sure how long it would take to go through the entire Bible, but every day you'll read one chapter in the Old Testament, one chapter in the New Testament. And on Saturdays, you read one psalm. And on Sundays, you come to church and we'll read something else. The Word of Life Quiet Time. Go read through the Bible in like six years or something like that. And write your own commentary, so that's cool. Um, but make a plan. Have a plan. There's lots of plans out there. And read something you haven't read before. Discover God's Word this year. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for its great value. And I pray that You would convict our hearts to give Your Word a place in our lives and a place in our schedules, 
place in our hearts that maybe it hasn't had. God, I realize that not everybody in this room struggles to spend regular time in Your Word, and I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that within the body of Christ, You you have ordained that there are those of us who are struggling and those others who can be an encouragement and an example and an accountability for those that struggle. God, help us to seek out those relationships within the body. Help us to, like Josiah, seek accountability for the promises we make to you. Help us, like Josiah, to follow through on those promises. Help us to be broken by your word that we would see Your Word as authoritative and allow it to speak in our lives no matter how uncomfortable it may be. God, I, I pray for a country, for a church, for a community. God, I pray that um, even though we can't right here in this little spot do a lot to change the course of the country, God, we can do very little to change the course of our city. But God, we can eternally change, we can help to eternally change the course of some individuals' lives by bringing them into contact with your word. The word of God, the souls of men, the only things that last forever on this earth. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Mm-hmm.